Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Zahibo moves it for Somi. His low delivery bounces. Now Farrell drives it. His first goal as a member of the Revolution. Finally, Farrell with the breakthrough. Look at the joy. Welcome back to Revolution Recap. That was Brad Feldman on the call as Andrew Farrell scored his first ever career goal in the Revolution's 4-0 victory over the Montreal Impact. As the Revolution now stand in third place in the Eastern Conference and are unbeaten uh, in their last four games after that disappointing start uh, against Philadelphia. Ever since then, uh, a win, I mean, three wins and a draw. So an impressive result from the Revolution. Uh, that goal call, courtesy my TV38 and Craft Sports Productions. Um, but again, great, great victory for the Revolution. Um, but... Yet again, the Revolution were fortunate to, well, <laughs> a 13th-minute red card to, to Safar Tidier uh, in Montreal put them up a man for the vast majority of this match and put them in a great position to come away with the win. Uh, but you do have to give the team a lot of credit for you know, going for it and getting all four goals because I think there's been times in the past few years, um, and even this season when the Revolution have gone up a man and haven't taken full advantage this time, you know, they went fully for it and came away with that 4 nothing victory. Uh, Bunbury got the opener in the 20th minute. Farrell scored that 46, 45th minute goal um, deep into stoppage time, which was thanks in part to uh, to VAR um, that, that on a penalty kick earlier that we can talk about later. Um, and then Diego Fagundes scored in the 71st minute. And Wilfred Zahibo, who had a really good performance, I'll also probably talk about more in the show, uh, scored in the 80th minute to wrap up the scoring at 4 nothing. Um, as the Revolution got their third win on the season. Um, but, you know, very interesting game that was hard to take away too much from because, yet again, the Revolution were playing uh, down a man. And with that, let's get to takeaways from this game. Let's start with Brian. Yeah, I think that's really one of the more, that's my biggest takeaway is to see them, you know, perform well, um, perform well, you know, with 11, 11 v. 10 uh, for the second straight week uh, for the majority of the game. And you saw kind of two different performances. The one that they had in Houston was a little more, I guess you could say, a little more uh, concerning because, you know, Houston for very long spells seemed like seemed to be playing that they were 11 v. 11. Uh, and in this game, we saw that, you know, the refs, you know, pretty much take control and never look back uh, against a 10-man Montreal side. So, you know, as promising as the offense has looked the last two weeks, um, you know, the, com- the combinations are starting to come together. Um you know, you do kind of want to see how this offense and how this team kind of operates when, um, you know, when it's 11 v. 11 for 90 minutes. And, uh, you know, that was my biggest takeaway. I mean, to, you know, and that's not to take anything away from the performance itself. I mean, putting up four goals, whether you're 11 v. 10 or 11 v. 11, is still impressive. Um, but I think a lot of people um, are really intrigued to see how this team, how this offense performs, you know, 11 v. 11. And, um, you know, how, you know, what they what they really are made of in, uh, in uh, you know, conditions where, you know, you're, you're not playing, you're, you're, you don't have the main advantage. So uh, that was the biggest takeaway for me, um, you know, and we'll see if we find that out this week uh, when, they, when they host Dallas. 
Yeah, I, I really agree with you on that point. It's you know, it's hard to take too much away from a game in which uh, the Revolution were upper man from the 13th minute on. And just looking at how this game played out, too, the, the first five minutes of this game, Montreal had 76% possession, uh, and then they maintained the majority of the possession for each of the first, you know, for the first 15 minutes before that red card took place. Um, and you know, I think we talked about last week how you, you look at this game and the Revolution probably went into it as a favorite with how they were playing. Um, and, and Montreal, of course, missing Piotti for this one. Um, not, not obviously the, the strongest Montreal team. So you look at that game and the Revolution have to go into his favorites. Um, and then, again, we see the Revolution getting dominated in possession early on. Uh, it's great that you know, when that red card happened, they took full advantage and really controlled the game. But uh, is it worrying at all that the Revs started off with you know, Montreal controlling? And, and yes, some of that might be Brad Friedel's style, but you'd think in a home match like this, uh, a team like the Revolution as the favorite would you know, play a bit differently and keep a bit more possession. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a great point, Sean. I was looking at that stat, too, earlier. And um, you do kind of wonder, even though, even though Montreal really didn't get, you know, really didn't test, you know, get a shot on goal during those, those initial 14 minutes, it was still really concerning to see them, see the Revs kind of like in, you know, on their back heels, especially given the, given the way that they played against uh, New York City FC, where they were like right on the right on the accelerator, right from the get-go. And it just seemed apparent that they were in total, in total, control of the game right off the bat. Um, so to see them basically take the, take the exact opposite route and have Montreal kind of take the game to them in the first 14 minutes was kind of, was kind of interesting because even though neither team was really, you know, uh, testing the other team's keeper, it was still kind of interesting to see that there, there, there definitely lacked that, that sharpness. I mean, the urgency was there, but I just don't think that they were, they were very sharp at all in those 14 minutes. And I don't know if it was the weather, um, you know, or just the fact that Montreal was was obviously a different animal than New York City FC, but um, you did see them. You did see the impact, kind of like take control of the game early, and uh, you know, up until the point that uh, Tidair got the uh, got the red card, they were you know the Revs kind of looked lost for those first fourteen minutes. Yeah, and I'll also add that Montreal did a really good job of pushing their wing backs up, and I don't, I don't think the, the Revolution have seen anyone that has come out in kind of a, a five-three-two and used wing backs uh, like Montreal did. So it might have been that at the beginning of the game they were kind of adjusting to how Montreal was playing, um, but it, it'll be interesting to see if uh, you know they struggle against teams that uh, kind of use wing backs and throw in a lot of crosses into the box like Montreal did in the first bit of that game. And, um, and I'll, I'll also add in that Montreal, I think we mentioned this last week, Montreal does have some quality wins against Toronto and against Seattle. So uh, I know that at home against a division divisional team like Montreal is, it, it's easy to say, you know, hopefully we take the upper hand and, and that, uh, you know, we expect to control the game from the start, but Montreal is not necessarily a team that uh, was going, going into it. I don't think it was an easy three points. I know uh, I picked, picked a two, two draw last week. Brian stole my prediction because he liked it so much. Uh, so, you know, it, I, I'm not totally freaked out that Montreal had some chances early and didn't lie down easily, but um, you would have liked to have seen a stronger start from the revolution. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair point. And again, Montreal's not a bad team, but they were missing Piotti in this one. And they, you know, the, this was a game where uh, the revolution were close to certainly close to full strength. Um, and you, you know, you want to see what, what they can do again in an 11 v 11 situation because we still haven't really seen that against a quality opponent this season. So to, to get that 13th minute red card is great for the revolution to get those points, but, uh, it makes it for me, I, I still don't know how good this team is because they've, they've had some very fortunate bounces and fortunate red cards to, to get in the position that they are. But 
again, what I will say from this one is it was great to see them kill this game off with those four goals, and it was great to see them, to me at least, be a lot more solid defensively than they were uh, certainly in that Houston game when they were up a man. Um, and in this game, I never really thought that they were going that there was much of a risk that they would, would not come away with three points. Um, so that alone is, is certainly a, a good sign. Uh, but Greg, let's let's get to your takeaway on this one. Yeah, well, since we can't take away much of uh, the revolution, I just want to say that VAR is terrible. And uh, really, I've tried not to criticize in the past because I'm all for improving the game, but I have a difficult time seeing how uh, VAR improves uh, the overall product. I think it was a massive, massive uh, blemish on the game the other night. Uh, I, I mean, I'm all for reviewing plays, but the penalty that was called wasn't even remotely questionable. And it took them eight minutes or five, five and a half minutes. I think it was, there was eight minutes of stoppage time. Five and a half was from the VAR review. Um, I, I think it, that's as bad as VAR can get where it's a, um, uh, uh, not even a remotely questionable call. It takes a lot of time to finish. And, uh, not only that, but it seemed to have taken away all momentum. The revolution had, I know people on Twitter, I forget who, but they were tweeting out. It was similar to icing the kicker, like icing the PK kicker. Uh, so I, I think that was absolutely true. You could tell the revolution were kind of thrown out of their style for uh, a couple minutes and uh, it was a really, really bad night for VAR. Yeah. Uh, and I, my, my sentiments are pretty much just that, right? Um, you know, I've, I've never, I haven't really been a fan of VAR just on the whole in MLS, uh, since they instituted it last year, just because I feel like now, especially this year, I feel like they you know, that a lot of, a lot of the VAR reviews are becoming, you know, overdone where it seems like the calls are obvious and they're taking, you know, an insane amount of time, either an insane amount of time to look at them or just having to look at things that are pretty much so elementary as far as the nature of the foul or the nature of the call that, uh, you know, I almost feel like they're, you know, they're dissecting it far, far too much. And um, I just think that it's becoming something that, that really, you know, the league doesn't want to have happen, but it's, it's got, and it's something that to me has got to be addressed if you're going to do it. You know, make sure you do it right. And you know, if we if we saw anything on that on that VAR, uh, the VAR of um, of the penalty on on, on Pania and that that led up to the Fagunis, uh, uh penalty. You know, it's that it's that it's it's broken. It's something that needs to be that needs that certainly needs to be fine tuned um, if we're going to use it going forward. And I think um, you know, and I think that's just I think it's something that needs to be addressed by the league and hopefully gets straightened out before long. You know what it reminded me too, as we were watching it and, and you mentioned they're dissecting it too much. It reminds me a lot of like the catch rule in the NFL where they're making it more difficult than it needs to be. Uh, I, I mean, I, what could they have possibly been reviewing? There were two fouls on that play. If anything, I couldn't, were they reviewing whether or not there should be two penalties? Like there was no question that it was a penalty in the box. I, I can't, I I'm, I'm stunned. I'm stunned. No, I am completely with you. I do not understand how that possibly took as long as it did to, to figure out that that was a penalty kick there. Were they, were they considering, you know, whether there should be you know, a red card involved or something? I, I, just, I just don't get it. Because um, to me, that was, you know, pretty blatantly clear, <laughs> you know, what, what happened there. It makes, it makes no sense to me. Um, and, and, you know, VAR is, I think, going to get a strong oak this weekend because uh, in that Atlanta LAFC game, uh, which there was a first-minute red card that was then changed in VAR to a yellow card, which I think you know was a a red card that could have gone either way. Um, and then to see such a a, a game-changing uh, review there, change change the red card, take the red card away from Atlanta, and then Atlanta went on to win that game five nothing. Um, it, it, you know, it's 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 been interesting. 
I, for one, was excited to see VAR be implemented. I think on, on plays, certainly, you know, when, when goals are, are ruled out for not crossing the line or offsides or things like that, it's, it's great to be able to correct that. Um, but I, I just, I don't get some of the plays that are being reviewed and why they're being reviewed. And, you know, I don't get why this one took so long. And, and the one thing that's great about NFL is, you know, when they have these reviews, and I don't think that MLS should get anywhere near as many reviews as, as, as you know, NFL does, but when they have these reviews um, in the NFL, the referee goes out there and explains what he saw and what he was calling, and we just, you don't see that in, in MLS, and I think that adds to frustration, um, because, you know, certainly, I, I don't get what they were looking at, and I, that ended up leading to the nine minutes of stoppage time <laughs> at the end of the day where, where Andrew Frail scored that goal, but... You know, what what took that long? Well, I think I think I saw someone say that there was technical difficulties, so that I guess contributed to the length of the review. But at the same time, I, I don't. It was so obvious. I don't know why they even bothered. You know well, what I mean? It's, I, and it's 2018. What kind of technical difficulties are we like talking about that lead to that much of a delay? Like, that's right. pathetic. You got to think there's some communication going on somewhere, and someone's got to say, "Yeah, that's a really obvious call." I don't know if it, if it was a very, very close call, I could see why they want to take the time to get it right, but it wasn't, it wasn't even remotely close. I, I can't believe they had to second guess it. But, and I saw the, the same opinions that you were seeing about people, you know, comparing it to icing the kicker. And I'm, I'm curious from, from both of you, um, if, if, if you thought that that actually did have an impact on, on Fagundes, um, you know, having that you know, kind of a weak penalty kick that was saved. And, and certainly that was, you know, something that we would have seen Lee Wynn taking in the past if he was on the field. So that you know, leads us to the other question of, too, of, if Fumunez is the guy to be taking these. Yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, it's interesting because um, because it looked like before before uh, Fumunez took the penalty, it was him, like him and him and Peniel were kind of like almost like kind of like negotiating it to see, to see who would take it. Um, and it looked like Pena really, really wanted it. Um, so, you know, again, it seems like there's no clear, you know, designated uh, penalty taker. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe after Friday's game, there will be after what happened with Fagunas, but, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we've seen a lot of different players, uh, you know, I'm going to backtrack on that. We've seen Lee Wynn be the person, uh, that takes those penalties and, you know, obviously with him out of, out of the loop now, um, you got to kind of wonder who is going to take those penalties. And I think, um, you know, I think Fagunas is capable of doing it, but I think that you really kind of have to go with. You know, obviously, you're your most confident person, and obviously, you know, when you get penalty stop, uh, you know, it kind of affects your psyche for the next one. So, um, I think going forward, if, if I had a vote or if I had any say, um, it would probably be Christian Pena. Yeah, and Pena, if I remember correctly, Pena and Fagundes were discussing who was going to take it, and Fagundes won that discussion. Uh, well, he won the discussion. He did not uh, get the result he wanted, but uh, so Pania, I, I think certainly is a good choice. But uh, I'm I'm curious why Claude Yelna isn't stepping up to take those kicks. He rocketed a free kick off the bar the other day. I mean, if he, uh, I'm sure he's not a very accurate penalty kicker, but he's certainly got a strong leg. I I, I certainly think he's got to be in the discussion too to to take a penalty kick. Am I wrong on that one or? I, think, I, I was surprised he wasn't even in the discussion. No, I think after we saw that, that free kick last week, um, you certainly have to think about his, his set piece ability and, and you know question whether or not he might be the right guy to do that. Um, and, and I will point out, too, that we saw in, in preseason Kellen Rowe uh, successfully convert a penalty kick. So I think, um, you know, were he on the field, that maybe he would be on that discussion. If, if you know, Bradfield was having him taken in, in preseason, then maybe he'd be having him taken in, in regular season, too. Um, so there's a, a few names out there. Um, and, and that actually kind of leads into, into my takeaway from the game, which is, you know, the, the stock of Kellen Rowe, I think, took a, 
took a rise from this this performance. He came away with an assist and a secondary assist. Um, and the way he set up that Fagundes goal is, I, I think, exactly what you were hoping to see out of this offense with you know the, the type of lineup that Brad Friedel is putting out there is a guy like Conroe setting up guys like Fagundes and Pania uh, in those positions. And that was just you know, very exciting to see. Uh, we talked about in, in Rowe's last start a couple weeks ago how you know the performance wasn't at the level that we expect from a guy like Kellen Rowe. Um, and this game, he came on in the 64th minute and just was phenomenal. Again, uh, you know, has extra space in a game like this because they're up a man, but he ended up finishing with, with three key passes, you know, hitting the bar, getting two assists. Um, it's hard to do much more in 26 minutes than Kellen Rowe did in this game. Uh, so, so I think he's certainly earned more playing time. And I also, you know, when we talk about this game, it's exciting to see a guy like, like Brad Friedel, when this team is up by a few goals, bring on a guy like Kellen Rowe and go more attacking rather than just, you know, play out the game. So uh, I, I like that sub by Brad Friedel, and I liked what I saw out of Kellen Rowe. Um, and I think Kellen Rowe has probably earned himself more minutes going forward with that performance. Yeah, I'd agree. I think Kellen Rowe did everything he possibly could. Um, he had two assists within 15 minutes. Uh, he was taking much better corner kicks than Fagundes, I thought. Uh, and he really should have had a third assist too. He led, uh, Christian Namath perfectly into the box and Namath scuffed a shot wide. But, um, yeah, I, I was actually a little surprised not to see Roe come on a little bit earlier. I know Caldwell played great, uh, but at up to nothing, uh, the revolution had the game in hand. Uh, he would have been a really good, um, person to come on and, and really, you know, uh, really put the nail in the coffin in, in terms of, uh, you know, providing some key passes and, and putting some more goals in. He, he clearly provided a spark uh, once he came into the game. So um, I think going forward, we're still going to see him kind of in that role where when they need a spark off the bench, he's going to be kind of a super sub. But uh, I mean, he's, he's used, he's in that role very, very well right now. Yeah. And I think it's also kind of, kind of uh, interesting that, you know, one thing that uh, Jay Heaps always kind of preached during his time, uh, in New England is, you know, competition for spots, how, you know, competition, you know, really, really uh, sharpens, really sharpens guys' uh, motivations and, and their form once uh, game day comes around. Um, and I think that this is, this is kind of, it's, you know, we're finally kind of seeing it come out um, with Friedel at the helm, ironically, because, you know, when you have, when you have a team that does, um, that's kind of come out to as bright a start as this year, as, as they have this year. And if you look at the subs that came on, that came on for the Revs uh, during Friday's game, you know you're looking at Callan Rowe, Christian Namath, and Juan Agadello. I mean, those guys those guys were all starters at one point last year. Um, so you know, I think I think for me, I think the biggest thing is you know it's it's one of those classic good problems to have. I mean, if you have a guy like Callan Rowe coming off the bench, and he's and he's assisting you know twice in 15 minutes, and you have Juan Agadello comes off the bench a couple weeks ago and scores. Uh, you know, scores against uh, NYCFC. Um, you know, it's a good problem to have. Um, you know, ha- in you know how Friedel kind of like looks at that and takes takes stock of those players uh, will be interesting to see. You know, going forward in the next few weeks because I don't think that their next I think their next midweek game isn't until their 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 first midweek game I should say isn't until I think May thirtieth. So you have a little bit you have a few more weeks in which you know barring injury these guys are probably going to have to you know battle battle hard during uh you know during during the week in training to to get to get their starting spots back yeah no i think i think that's a, a great point that the schedule is you know fairly friendly um to the revolution uh up until i yeah like you were saying up until may 30th is their first midweek game so they they've got you know if, if brad friedel is happy with the lineup rest is not going to become an issue until later into the season um and, and it 
you know, as you said, guys like Namath, Aguadelo, and, and Kellen Rowe, the, the quality of those players and, and what we expected to see of them coming into the season and how to see them on the bench, um, they're really going to have to outshine guys in training to, to earn those spots back. But, you know, a good first step for Rowe to, to earn more minutes with that performance. Um, it, and I, I do want to look at a couple other guys' performances in this one. You know, Diego Fagundes was an interesting, an interesting one. I know, you know Greg wanted to, to touch on his performance, but I just want to point out that in, in this game, he actually had 10 crosses, which um, is a surprisingly high number for the role where he's been playing lately, where he's more of a central guy, um, of which, you know, five of which connected on, which is a you know, pretty high total for, for a player like that. Nobody else on the team had more than two crosses. So uh, Fagundes finding his way to, to get wide from that central role and, and we talked about the missed penalty kick, but what did you think of his performance otherwise? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to um, speak negatively of a guy who scored and had an assist, but uh, I thought Fagundes could have done more. Obviously, there was the missed penalty, but um, his corners, he, he was he seems to be the main uh, corner kick taker, and I, he, I, I wasn't really thrilled with uh, him in that role. Uh, he seemed like a little bit off. He didn't seem to be playing as uh, well as he normally did, but... Um, he still scored. He still made an assist. Uh, I mean, it, it speaks to his ability where you can say he seemed to be a little bit off and, and still made it on the score sheet twice. But uh, I, I was a little I was a little disappointed in Diego uh, the other night. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of surprised to see him taking the taking the corners too. I know I think we've seen uh, we've we've seen Somi take the corners more often than not when he's on the field. Um, but it was interesting to see him take the corners. And I know actually I, I'm trying to think if there was one there was one time where he did have a pretty decent corner um and i think uh either farrell or somebody else got on it and you know didn't didn't obviously turn into a goal but um you know i if you're if you're looking from a developmental standpoint i think it is a i think it is a positive that you have a guy like him kind of taking more of a role uh you know in the offense when it comes to the set pieces when it comes to even when it comes to the you know taking the pks um if you even want to go back to the uh to the uh game that they played against colorado where you know, there was a discussion between him and Tierney who would take that, you know, that that free kick in, in stoppage time. And obviously Tierney takes it and wins the game on it. Um, but the fact that he was kind of like inserting himself into that situation and, uh, you know, making himself say, hey, I want this too. I think it's kind of a good thing because, you know, I think when you have a player like Fagunas who, you know, lacks confidence, whenever we see him lack confidence, his, his form seems to drop. So, you know, it, even if he didn't, really have the greatest game uh, on on Friday, I still think it's important that he's still, you know, trying to involve himself in the offense. He's trying to kind of develop into the kind of player that a lot of us think he can become. Um, and even if it's just little things like, you know, taking those corner kicks or taking, you know, free kicks, you know, with game on the line or even taking penalties, you know, I kind of, I kind of do want to see that. I kind of want to see him, you know, take those, uh, you know, take, take on those responsibilities and uh, I think with Friedel in charge, I think he has been kind of given the green light to do that. Um, so, you know, if one, if it means that he has kind of a, a mediocre game, uh, you know, this early in the season, and it means that, you know, he'll get better at those, at those uh, you know, things later on in the season, then I'm all for it. But um, but I, I think, you know, the worst thing you can have is a Diego Fagundes that's not confident, that's doubting himself. So the fact that he doesn't appear to be doing that, um, I think is, is, is still a really good sign. Yeah, when you talk about confidence, I think it has to be great for his confidence to, to have scored that goal after missing that penalty kick. Um, and you know, like you said, Brad Friedel has put so much uh, emphasis on Diego Fagundes and putting him in that central role and, and putting you know, so much of this team behind him. Um, and at, at 23 years old, with how long Fagundes has been playing now, you know, this is a year where he really, really needs to step up and, and move into that role. 
Uh, and early on in the season, I thought he did really well. I agree with Greg that you know there were a few times where he could have done more, uh, but you know he still was very influential in this game. Ended up with six key passes, uh, that goal, the assist. Uh, it, it's hard to find too much fault in Faguna's performance. And, and talking about guys that had you know a, a big impact and have been called on to do a lot, Claude Dielna, which I, I thought he played a big role in this game, but I was surprised to see the stats at the end of the game. Um, that he had attempted 102 passes, completing 85.3% of it. And just for comparison, uh, the most passes he'd attempted in any game this season before this one was, was 48. And again, you take it with a grain of salt given the red card, but 113 touches were by far the most on the team. Uh, second most was Zahibo with 86. So Dielna really finding a way to get involved in the game. He had three shots in this one, you know, getting more involved in the offense, pushing forward. Uh, I, I think it looks like he's enjoying himself out there, and... Uh, really is taking on a, a key role for this team uh, as a leader in that back line. Yeah, I think one thing that I've definitely seen, I don't know if I'm just noticing it more this year, is that he seems to really get, he seems to get really involved in the attack whenever possible. Um, you know, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, I think he's taken on, he's he's really taken the leadership role to heart this year, um, especially now that he has the armband. So, you know, it, it, it surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me at the same time, if that makes any sense, because... I think, you know, whenever you see them, you know, whenever you see the Revs pressing high and you see, uh, you know, Dielna kind of like also trying to get involved, I think I think it's a good thing. I think, um, you know, as long as he <laughs> as long as he stays away from those red cards, you know, I, you know, I think I think, you know, most people will be OK with him, you know, throwing himself into the attack whenever possible. Um, and just to kind of go back to one of Greg's earlier points about his his set piece prowess, I kind of want to see him take more set pieces because, you know, granted, you know, we saw that we we remember that shot that went off the bar um, in Houston two weeks ago. Um, but, you know, I kind of, you know, it kind of, you know, has me begging for more. Like, I kind of want to see more of that. I want to see more of Claudia Dielna taking those, you know, those left footed, uh, you know, free kicks from, you know, 20, 25 yards. Yeah. And I remember when he signed last year, originally we heard he was a left back slash center back. And, you know, you, you see the size of him and you say, well, that's a center back, but he, he really does distribute the ball very well uh, for, for a center back. He, he, he does go up. He does get involved in the offense. Uh, I think uh, Friday's game was a very good indicator of what he can do. Uh, you know, you're up a man, he's able to go up and, and take more chances and look downfield and, and uh, you know, <laughs> make some, some long passes and, uh, distribute the ball. So uh, it, it was really kind of nice to see. I mean, uh, he, he's a man of uh, many talents. He's, he's got a strong leg and um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not totally surprised that in a game where they're up a man, uh, he's able to kind of contribute in the offense like he did. Yeah. And then one other guy I wanted to touch on before we got onto to some of our listener questions was Wilfred Zahibo. And I think it was Greg that pointed out on Twitter uh, stats wise, Zahibo had a really good game and, and who scored um, at, at the end of the game, it gave him an 8.98 rating, which was best best on the team, I believe. Um, so he he was got man of the match statistically. Uh, ended up with five shots, scored his first goal, uh, you know, earned a dangerous foul, and just overall, I thought played his best game in a Revolution uniform. You know, we can we can beat to death the fact that they were up man in this game, but Zahibo to me um, definitely had his best performance as a Revolution player. Completed 85 percent of his passes. We talked about you know his passing accuracy not being the best. Um, even with long balls, he was eight out of ten. Uh, so, you know, Zahibo just really stepped up his game in this one and had a, a, a big influence. Uh, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on his performance. 
Yeah, I, I think he played really well. And I don't mean to correct you, Sean. I didn't tweet that out. The Revolution Recap Twitter account uh, <laughs> tweeted that out. And I just want to take this moment to remind everyone to follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter. Thank you. Uh, but yes, uh, Zahivo had a great game. Uh, I, I mean, it's again a, a situation where, um, you know, he he's really a physical beast. And, and I think a game where Montreal is kind of on their back foot and the Revolution are on the high press, it allows the people that are typically playing you know, more focused on defense to go up and show what they can do. Um, but yeah, Zahibo, uh, a really nice uh, volley there for his goal. Uh, he had a nice assist, I think Bunbury, right? Oh boy. That was two days ago. I don't remember what I had for breakfast. It was Bunbury goal. I'm pretty sure it was that long pass to Bunbury. That was Zahibo. Um, yes, correct. Yeah, <laughs> I, I knew it. I just, I don't know why I doubted myself there. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, he had a really, really good game, a really strong performance. Uh, and I, and, and as that tweet from at revolution recap says, I would not be surprised if he makes the MLS team of the week. It was a really, really good game. He was one of the strongest players on the pitch. Yeah. I think, uh, the situation surrounding Zahibo in that game was similar to what we were just talking about with, with, uh, Dielna in the sense that, you know, he kind of, you know, with that 11 V 10, I think gave him more license to get more involved in the attack. And it was it was impromptuing to see him, you know, really get involved and not only be, get involved, but also you know be successful, uh, you know, helping the attack. And you know, like we like you had just mentioned, the assist to the assist to um, you know Bunbury was was a pretty was a really good ball, terrible defending, but a really good ball. Um, so that was that was encouraging. Obviously, the you know the eighty six touches was obviously promising. Um, you know, completing eighty five percent of his passes and being the highest rated player. From that game, according to scored.com, you know, all good, all great signs. And obviously, like Sean mentioned, you know, is probably his best game in a Revs uniform. And uh, you just hope that that's kind of a springboard for him, for him grading, creating more success, you know, in that role. Because, you know, he is being asked to do a lot in his first year here in New England. Um, you know, he's and he's still relatively young. He's still only 24. So, you know, he's really been given, you know, a lot of responsibilities coming in here, you know, right off the bat. And uh, you just hope that a game like like Fridays is something that kind of says, okay, you know, this is what he's capable of. And, you know, just like any other player, you know, uh, a player who, you know, kind of like starts to establish himself in a new area, um, you know, a game like that can go a long way. Yeah. And, and one other stat I wanted to point out, which when you have a guy like Zahibo with, with his sort of height, um, you know, something that you expect him to do is, is win a lot of balls in the air, and that's something you need out of your defensive midfielder. Um, and he led all players in this one in this game with five aerial duels, one. So you know, that's something that you expect to see out of a guy like him, and that that's a good sign, and hopefully something that he can continue going forward for this team. Uh, but we got some good listener questions, and uh, Greg, do you want to read us a couple of those? I sure do. Uh, first question: uh, If the Revs had to make another move, where would the focus be? Backline, midfield, or forward? And I also want to uh, – Corey sent this one in. Big shout-out to Corey because he knows not even to bother to ask about goalkeeper because the Revolution are just set at goalkeeper for the next 10 to 15 years with Matt Turner. 195-minute scoreless streak going for the future MLS All-Star, Matt Turner. Great job, Matt. Uh, but, yeah, what do you guys think uh, the focus should be if the Revs want to add another piece? Well, I'll start by saying I can right away right off the midfield because I think that's a position of a lot of strength for them. Uh, Casido's been been great in stepping right up. Zahibo is you know performing better. I think they have a lot of good pieces there and a lot of depth there. Um, I could go either way with backline or forward. Um, I'm still not convinced that Teal Bunbury is the answer up top. I'm far from convinced that he is. And, and certainly, as we talked about, Juan Aguadelo hasn't shown the consist- consistency that he can be that guy either. 
Um, you know, ideally, I think Aguadelo steps up and becomes that guy, but we, we just haven't seen it, and it's been enough seasons now where, you know, I think they need more pieces there to, to really be comfortable going forward. They need somebody that can prove that they can score 15 goals a season and lead this offense, and I don't see Bunbury or Aguadelo as that guy right now. So, to me, I'm going to go with forward. I do, at the same time, think there's a lot of holes in the back line. I, you know, fullback spot, I think there's still some question marks. Uh, we can talk about, you know, the center back situation. I, I eventually I think that De La Maya has to has to go back out there to make this defense better. But you know I'm I'm just gonna go with the forward spot because I think you need to have a, a 15 goal goal scorer on this team um, to to really be successful and really make a push to to win a championship. And I don't see that right now. And I think after Bunbury and after Aguadelo, both of whom have consistency issues, there's really nobody else. So I, I'm sticking with forward. Yeah, I'll go with uh, I'll go with the center back pairing because I still think to me it's still unsettled because. While you have Dielma, I still think that if you have Jalila and Ababa as your as your as your primary center back next to Dielma with Dalme on the bench, I think that's to me that just speaks to the issue. To me, speaks to the issue of the center back pairing being still unresolved. Um, so I think that if they have to improve anywhere, it'd probably be the center back position. Um, it's clear that Dalme has fallen out of favor with Friedel. Um, how long he stays on the roster is beyond me um but just the fact that you do have kind of a journeyman paired next to your uh paired next to you know one of the highest paid defenders in the league kind of to, to me speaks to me that the that the you know that that pairing is unsettled uh opposite dielma so you know if i were to if they were to make a move if you know if i had any saying what kind of move they'd make to improve the improve the uh, roster i'd say that center back would probably be the place to uh the place to focus see i i I'm going to half agree with Brian and I'm going to agree. It's the back line, but I actually think they could use someone on the left or right side. The way I kind of thought about this question, because there isn't really a position that I, I see as a weakness right now. They're playing really, really solid right now. And there isn't really a lot of uh, issue with depth either. So the way I kind of looked at this is if there was an injury, where would the worst position be for the revs? And I think if Farrell goes down, Brandon by certainly could fill in, but I don't know about if he could play consistently. We don't really know. He seems to be like kind of an offensive option. We don't know how well he can play as a defender on the left side. If Somi gets hurt, Christine could fill in, but you, you know, I don't mean to, to trash Christine, but uh, he hasn't been as effective as he was two or three seasons ago. So I think if you were to look for a depth piece, I could see someone on the right or left side of the, the defensive line being the area you want to improve and kind of fill in as a, a depth piece. So that, that was maybe someone that can play both sides and then maybe fill in the center back. But uh, that was my kind of takeaway. So, But I'm glad we could all agree that the midfield is pretty stacked. <laughs> I think that goes without saying. Uh, what else we got, Greg? All right. So Tyler sent in a question. Uh, is the high press something you uh, sorry? Is the high press something you can maintain? Do you get uh, an IE? Do you get more fit as an athlete over a season in the system, or does it break you down faster due to the heavy toll it takes on the body? A really good question uh, that I have absolutely no idea. So I'll throw it over to Sean. Yeah, no, that is a, a great question, um, and I think this is something too that you know Brian talked about the schedule earlier, um, and when you have a week between games, I think it's something that you can get away with and that. Um, you have the time to recover. You can keep doing it. Uh, and I do think it's something that makes you more fit as the season goes on. However, um, to a certain extent, at some point, you're, you're as fit as you're going to be. And I think, you know, come April, you should pretty much be at that point. Um, but, you know, w once you get into the heart of the season, when there's Open Cup games and there's midweek games, 
Brad Friedel is going to have to use a lot of rotation if he's going to continue to keep playing a high-press system like this. Uh, I, I do think it takes its toll on you, and I do think you need a, that full week three cover. So it, it works for a while, but it's something that you will have to see Brad Friedel uh, be very proactive in rotating these guys when the schedule gets more busy. Yeah, exactly. And I also say that, you know, I think as the season goes on, um, they're going to, I, I do believe that they're going to use it less and less. I mean, we're looking at a first half of the season where it's been extremely, it's been an extremely favorable schedule for the Revs this year so far. Um, and they've taken advantage to their credit. Um, but if you look at the second half of the year, there are a lot of road games. I think, I think something, uh, I think there's, I think they have like, uh, you know, fifth, five only, uh, they have like 10 of the last 15 are on the road. So I just don't see the I just don't see the high press being used as effectively as as, as we've seen it so far this season, um, and you know from my perspective I think that Brad Friedel is really going to have to um, really going to have to pick and choose his spots as the season progresses as to um, you know which games that the high press is most more appropriate, um, and I think that you know a game like you know a game like we saw in Houston where before the red card they really weren't pressing as high early on. Um, and I think that was just based upon, you know, based upon the matchup. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that Friedel will continue to do is, you know, look at the matchup and say, uh, you know, in this game, we're going to press higher than we do against, you know, you know, New York City FC, where they were high pressing to death. Uh, they basically gassed themselves in that game to the point where um, where they conceded two goals uh, in the latter stages. So um, I think I'll have to take a long look as far as, you know, which games, you know, which matchups are appropriate to, to use more or less of the higher press. Um, and it's also worth noting that they that if you look at the training schedule, Brad Friedel has these guys training twice a week, sometimes uh, twice a day, sometimes during the week, which is something we never saw with Jay Heaps for you know for all the kind of uh, rhetoric that we heard about him, you know, wanting a well-conditioned team. Uh, you know, the first time I remember seeing looking looking at the training schedule, I'm like, wait a minute, are they doing are they doing two days? You know, uh, during the season, which is something that you know I don't remember the last time I saw two days. Uh, two days on the on the training schedule, uh, you know, while covering this team, it's been a while. So, um, you know, certainly the intention is there for them to get fit. Uh, maybe it will make them more fit as the season goes along. But you don't really you don't want to get guys burned out, especially when the sit when the schedule isn't as favorable as it is towards the end. And you definitely don't want them gassed if they do make a postseason run. You definitely know that's obviously the worst time for them to to kind of flame out. So, um, I think he's just gonna have to be judicious, and you know, he may make errors along the way he may uh you know overestimate you know the, the the effectiveness of the high press going forward uh once to see once the schedule gets tough but um yeah it'll be interesting to see it'll be interesting to see how how Friedel as a first year manager is going to manage manage his players manage the bodies manage uh you know roles and you know especially when injuries come up yeah you talk about a team with a, a favorable schedule so far this year it's hard to look past FC Dallas with the Revolution have coming up. They have yet to play a road game four games into the season, um, and you know they're unbeaten at one zero and three. But I, I think it'd be hard to be you know too excited about a one zero and three team um, that's tied three games at home uh, and is coming off now a one one draw with a not very impressive Colorado Rapids team as we saw. And I should point out that Dallas did have Champions League early on in the season. Uh, but they crashed out of that against against Toro FC in, in disappointing fashion. We talked about you know the impressiveness of MLS teams in this year's CONCACAF Champions League. That does not apply to FC Dallas as it applies to every other MLS team. 
Um, so they've been off to a really disappointing start. And before I go into that, I do want to shout out to two of the MLS teams that are still alive in the Champions League, which is the Red Bulls uh, and Toronto FC, both of whom are playing this Tuesday. The Red Bulls going home with a, a one-goal deficit to Chivas, so they're in a position where they, they could potentially advance. And Toronto going on the road to Club America up 3-1, so they're also in a position where they could potentially advance. Um, you know, if thing goes favorably, you could see two MLS teams in the Champions League final, which would be exciting because, again, no MLS team has won the Champions League in the, the present iteration of that. So, you know, that's, that's something to look forward to on Tuesday. But, but jumping to FC Dallas, the team that disappointed in the Champions League, um, and, you know, at 1-0-3, I think, you know, despite being unbeaten, we can all say it's been a disappointment this season. You know, they're next up on the Revolution schedule. Um, and, you know, despite what we expected out of Dallas going into this season after, you know, four games, you know, I think this is an, another game in which the Revolution can be expected to go in and, and, and get a good result out of. Um, I, I, I'm, Brian, I'm curious, do you think the Revolution are going to continue that high press against this, this FC Dallas team? Certainly they're a team that's been known to, to try to keep possession uh, in the past. Yeah, I think, uh, I think they, they tend to be more of a possession-oriented kind of team, um, you know, similar to, similar to uh, New York City FC. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of what we saw, um, you know, the the kind of the, the high press the amount of high pressing we saw against New York City FC, um, and and I think again t- it'll be interesting to see you know how they pick their spots because like you know like we saw they they got tired out by the 60th minute in that game so it'll be interesting to see what kind of uh, changes and what kind of how, how they approach changes against uh, FC Dallas and like you mentioned they haven't even played a road game this year which obviously you know certainly benefits the Revs in that respect um, so. In, so to get a, an opponent like that, who not only hasn't played a road game this year, but has been kind of not really impressive, you know, in their four, four home, four home games this year, and then obviously their most recent game against Colorado, which was kind of surprising, um, you know, because Colorado, we, as we saw, you know, a few weeks ago, isn't really that good, and to you know walk away with a draw against them at home is kind of uh, a little a little troubling if you're Oscar Perea, but um, yeah, I think this will, I think this will be a really good test to see, um, you know, how you know how effective the high press is and against a team like them and whether or not they can, you know, use that to their advantage and not have to, you know, settle for one point when, you know, when three points is expected from them. Yeah. We talk about the revolution having advantages from, from red cards this season. The only game Dallas has won this year was one where, you know, Dempsey had a meltdown and got a red card against Dallas in the, in the 38th minute. So they've benefited from red cards, just like the revs have. Yeah. And, and, I mean, to be fair to Dallas, they were winning one nothing at the time of that red card. But um, yeah, the results really are not uh, as strong as Dallas would have liked. Um, three one one draws at home against Real Salt, Salt Lake, Portland, and, and Colorado. Um, really not they, they're not the the FC Dallas of old. It appears like so. Um, again, I think the Revolution. It'll be fun to see them against a team that uh, is a step up from uh, what we've seen recently and. Uh, some 11 on 11 soccer, hopefully. Uh, it'll be nice to see how they measure up. Um, I'd imagine they're going to come out with the high press. I think that's how they want to play at home. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it'll be a very good match. It'll be a, we'll learn a lot more about the Revolution next week. And I think another thing that'll be, I think we'll finally get to see kind of, uh, you know, is kind of a, a, a strong, a strong, another strong test for the uh, for the defense because you have a guy like Max Yerudi who's really killed the Revs. Over the last few years, whenever the uh, whenever they play, uh, you know, whenever they play Dallas, and and even when when he was with Vancouver, he was kind of like uh, he was still kind of starting his career as a rev killer. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how you have a player like him, a guy who kind of sneaks under defenses and just you know kind of comes out of nowhere and and uh, gets into positions to score. It'll be interesting to see how what kind of test he he uh, he presents to 
to both uh, Jaleel and Mbappe and uh, Claude, Claude Dielna because, um, you know, for the most part, they really, obviously, for the most part, they really weren't tested this past week in Montreal. Um, and they were certainly tested <laughs> by by Houston. And in uh, a few times, Matt Turner had to bail them out. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of problems, you know, Diaz and Yerudi kind of present uh, guys like guys like Dielna, guys like um, uh, Andy Bob and even Zahibo. Yeah, there's certainly no shortage of dangerous players on this Dallas team, despite the results. Uh, Diaz, a guy at his best who can play that number 10 role really, really well and, and very creative force in the midfield. And if he can set up a Rudy, that's going to be troubling for the Revolution back line. So Zahibo, again, will need to have a, a really good game. Um, let's, let's get to some score predictions on this one. Brian, what do you got? Yeah, I'm going to say, you know, last week I was kind of unsure about the team. Uh, given the way that they kind of like almost almost blew it in Houston, and that's why I kind of went two to two. Um, also because it was a great prediction by Greg, that's why I went with it. So I'm going to say <laughs> two to one. I'm going to say two to one revs. Um, I do think that you know the, their offense will you know obviously be their strength, um, but I do think that there's in my opinion there's no way that Dallas doesn't get at least one past uh, one one past the defense, and uh, I just think that this is the kind of game that you know will be similar to the NYCFC game, um, but they'll just be, uh, you know, they'll just be a little more fortunate with, uh, with defending, with the, de- with defending the likes of Yuri and uh, Diaz. Yeah, I, I, I agree with a lot of what Brian just said. I think Dallas still has, uh, you know, th- they still have the pieces of uh, the, the old Dallas team that we used to uh, see The Dallas has uh, won the last six matches against the Revs. Uh, which seems crazy. I think the last time the Revs got a result was 2011. Yep. Uh, 2011 was the last time the Revs took points from Dallas. So uh, I think that ends. I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw. Um, it, I feel blasphemous saying that this scoreless streak is coming to an end, but I think Dallas does get one by the Revs, uh, and I think the offense will be uh, – I don't think they'll hit on all cylinders like they did against a 10-man Montreal. I, I think Dallas kind of, um, you know uh, – not necessarily parks the bus, but uh, proves to be a, a tougher task for the Revs next week. And so I've got uh, an even 1-1 draw, very even match across the board. You know, I, I hate to pull a Brian and rip off Greg's prediction, but I'm also thinking 1-1 on this one. Oh, gee. <laughs> I, I just take it as a compliment. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you know I, I see this Dallas team and the results haven't been there uh, for them, but I, I agree there's, there's a lot of talent on this team. Um, I think it'll be a very good matchup for the Revolution. I hope that this Wednesday is 11 v 11 because I want to see that uh, against this team, and it should be a really good test for the Revs. And I, I think one one um, and you know very competitive match could be an exciting one to watch. So I'm sticking with the draw as well. Um, before we wrap things up, does anyone else have any takeaways or any comments from the week? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, of note, uh, Mark Segbers, uh, who is on loan at Orange County, scored a brace uh, in the most recent match for uh, Orange County FC. So uh, he's it's his first two goals uh, of the season uh, at the USL level. So uh, very encouraging to see him uh, getting on the score sheet. And uh, I just want to say that uh, I just want to mention that sat- uh, yeah, Saturday's game, Friday's game was the second consecutive shutout. For Matt Turner, future U.S. Men's National Team caller. <laughs> I think we've covered that. <laughs> I, I, think, I think Brian's trying also, to steal your thunder. One, one more thing. Follow at Revolution Recap, please. Yes. I got to get that in there. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll wrap things up here. Again, Tuesday, if you're a fan of U.S. soccer, MLS, you know, big opportunity for MLS teams to make 
uh, some waves in the region with the New York Red Bulls against Chivas at 8 p.m. Saturday and then Club America, um, Club America hosting Toronto FC at 10 p.m. You know, two huge matchups that could do a lot for the reputation of MLS, especially if both those teams can advance and, and finally guarantee an MLS team a spot in the Club World Cup. Uh, so I'll be watching those games. And then, of course, the Revolution game uh, at home against FC Dallas on Saturday. Um, that game at 7.30 p.m. should be an entertaining one. Again, if you can't make it to the stadium, that game is on NBC Sports Boston. Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, for Brian O'Connell and Greg Johnstone, I'm Sean Donahue. Uh, we'll see you next week.